0: episode of self-awareness with sarah podcast obviously rob it is such a pleasure and an honor to have you here um we met in 2019 on the set of good morning la la land which was such a blast i i'm assuming they stopped production of it
1: yeah uh stopped the production of that show and then pandemic hit and whatnot and uh but it was such an incredible experience not the least of which because i get to make my- you know, meet you. That was like, so amazing. You have such incredible energy. And I just always love connecting with you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it was so funny. I remember I was like, how did I even start talking to Rob? And there is, it must have been some Tara Brock or like Eckhart Tolle book on the table. And I was like, Oh, I love this book. And you're like, I love this book, too. Um, So definitely at the end of this, we'll have to get like a list of your favorite books for people, because I'm sure it's extensive.
1: Yeah, I hope you have additional two or three hours for that
0: one. <laughs> yeah. problem. Great, great. We set up the Zoom meeting for three hours, so you never know. Um, speaking of books, I am a proud owner of your book, Happiness from the Inside Out. I love it. Um, when did you write this book?
1: Oh, my goodness. So long ago. It was, like, I think 2007, 2008, and it was initially just me tracking what led Need to live a happier life versus an unhappy life like i was basically just reading the most brilliant people i could possibly find you know whether it was authors and I'd watch videos and i would ask random people what sort of they discovered that led them to live a happier life mm-hmm. and i would start like applying whatever tips tricks tools and techniques they recommended and um you know that's the way the book started so it wasn't initially designed or written to be a book it was just like my personal like happiness journal that eventually over time became a book.
0: That's amazing. And so amongst other things, so you're an author, you're a celebrity happiness coach, and then also you help with going into companies like Google or YouTube. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do with those companies?
1: Yeah. So I work as an executive coach and I basically help individuals and organizations achieve increasingly authentic professional success Sort of an energizing balance between, you know, increasingly authentic professional success and increasingly effortless personal happiness, right? So in other words, I help them get better results with less time, energy, and effort by applying time-tested, face-valid, positive psychology principles and tools. I worked for a while as a management consultant, so I draw on lots of the, you know, methodologies and techniques that I learned through the management consulting career, but mostly I'm helping uh, individuals and businesses become happier and more successful.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And you talk so much about in your book, and of course, I'm always following your Instagram posts, and you talk a lot about how happiness is a precursor to success, which I have always found to be true, but I didn't always know why. Why Why do you think that is?
1: Oh my goodness, so many reasons. And you're right, just to contextualize that a little for folks, lots of research, thousands of studies have found that happier people experience happier circumstances and conditions and not vice versa. So in other words, happiness is not only the greatest success, I mean, it's the reason that you want success, but it also leads to success. So we know that happy people make 600 to 700,000 dollars more over the course of their entire lifetime. On average, they live six to seven years longer than less happy people. They get married earlier, stay married longer and are happier in all the relationships, whether they're married or not, they experience less job burnout, really in all ways happiness improves the circumstances and conditions of your life, right? And relationships, and relationships. Mm. Happy people are even rated as more attractive than unhappy people. So just knowing that, knowing that happiness is not only the greatest success, but it also leads to success Mm. uh, is very helpful. And I think part of the reason is that just optimism itself is extraordinarily, has an adaptive value. Meaning when you're an optimistic person, you tend to persist, particularly in the face of adversity, or challenges, and if you're not very optimistic, you're probably going to be likely to give up a lot sooner. Also, when you're optimistic, you tend to exercise or flex more control over things, particularly things that are controllable or inherently mm-hmm. controllable, right? And so, there are lots of reasons for that. Um, but mostly, I think that you know, happy people they persist longer. Um, they don't. They tend to be more resilient. They control what's controllable. They're a lot more grateful and appreciative. And also that is emotionally contagious. You know, happiness is emotionally mm-hmm. contagious. And so yet, it just in and of itself improves your relationships, both your personal ones and professional ones, your platonic ones and romantic ones, just by being happy, you uplift people around you. So they love being with you or spending time with you. And they want to spend more time with you. So that helps you get promoted. It helps you maintain relationships. It just right. really improves everything.
0: Wow. (laughs) That was like the best answer and so comprehensive. I didn't realize, I mean, it's, it's, it's so difficult to even imagine all of these, the domino effect that it has in every area of your life. It's sort of like, I picture like if you and your happiness is a point, like uh, in every direction, sort of like a, God, I wish I paid more attention in geometry, but like (laughs) it's like like uh, just this energy that's emanating from you in every single direction and every facet of your life. It's, it's going to improve it. Um, what's, I love so much. I took so many notes. I was reading through your book and, um, my boyfriend Weston was like, are you studying for an exam? Cause I was just like, Oh my God, everything about this. Like if you go through the book, I'm pretty sure the point of highlighting is to like point out certain things, but I have like pages, um, Okay, so something I would love to ask is what are the biggest misconceptions that people have about happiness?
1: Yeah, uh, so many. I think the first Mm -hmm. thing is is that happiness is something that you can get through other people, places, or things, right? I think that's the biggest one of all. That's Mm -hmm. why we spend so much of our lives trying to improve circumstances, conditions, relationships. It's not that you shouldn't do those things. It's just that that's the long, scenic, indirect path to happiness. And ultimately, happiness is not outside of you in the future. Probably the greatest myth or misconception around happiness. Happiness is something that exists now here inside of you, right? So that's number one. So that sort of invitation there is not to route your happiness through middle people or middle organizations or middle men or middle women or middle things, but instead Mm -hmm. to go directly to the source for it. So that's Probably the biggest misconception, you know, another misconception I think lots of us have is that, you know, happiness is a state of mind. And I don't always go fully there in the book and happiness from the inside. I only just touch on it. But ultimately, happiness isn't even a state of mind. It's really a state of being, Mm -hmm. right? Something that you probably experience with less thinking, you know, certainly less negative thinking, but less thinking overall, your happiest moments you'll often find or when you're so tapped in, tuned in, turned on, and so fully present and engaged and absorbed and consumed with what you're doing that you don't have a whole lot of time to evaluate or analyze. Oh,
0: that is so true. <laughs> a happier, I have never been more unhappy than when I'm just listening to the voice in my head thinking, oh, okay, I got this guy speaking to the boardroom of like different voices, thinking, you know, you have control over your own happiness by. Yeah. I mean, there's always another problem. There's always another problem for you to solve. And it's like, okay, one, I remember back in September, moving back to LA sort of as the pandemic. I mean, I thought it was slowing down at that point, but, um, I was like, okay, first priority. I want to pay my bills and have all of that taken care of. And I was so happy for a little bit while I was like, yeah, I got my bills paid. Like I'm doing it. And that was like an hour of like satisfaction. And then it was like, well, I could be making a lot more money and you know, the next problem arises. Um, so tried and true fails. Don't do it. (laughs) And I love what you said about how happiness is a way of being because happiness itself, I think people confuse happiness and, and inner peace a lot as well. And I think they're really interchangeable in a lot of ways, but happiness comes and goes and peace is something we can always have, but that happiness arises so much more easily from that
1: Sarah, that is so profound. I mean, this is why I love conversations with you so much. I mean, it really is. It took me quite some time to come to that recognition that Mm -hmm. happiness is really a peaceful, alive feeling inside or an alive peacefulness that you experience. More than that, it's not even something that you necessarily experience, but something that you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're absolutely right about that. I think that's another myth and misconception, that happiness is excitement or that it's anticipation or that it's um, pleasure. You know, it may include all those things in moments, but happiness is something that's so much deeper, more meaningful, more lasting, and more abiding. And it feels more like an alive piece. It's like a dancing that goes on inside of you, but that dancing is still. It's like a song that goes on and plays on inside of you, but that music is silent, right? So there's a silence and stillness that is full of this effervescent joy and peace, but it's an alive piece. It's not, you know, a funeral dirge. It's not a, it's not, you know, something that's very depressing or sad or boring. It's, um, really alive.
0: Well, it's interesting as you were talking, I was sort of, visualizing, you know, I, I have been using the calm app for about four years. I'm very proud because I knew about it before anyone else. And now it's this huge app and like Harry Styles or Shania Twain and LeBron James are like doing, you know, their own little segment on the app. And I'm like, oh, I was here before anyone. Um, so I've been using the app for, like I said, four or five years. And one of my favorite parts of the app is a, is a walking meditation. And I used to do it all the time walking to class when I was still going to school and I recently started doing it again. And what I realized is that stillness as I, as like, I'm walking through a neighborhood or looking at trees or flowers or taking in, you know, scents or as in, you know, smells. Um, there's, there's a part of me when I'm tapping into that stillness where fear comes up and I, it's, it's so interesting to me because I think that I reach for obsessive thinking and just incessant thinking as a, a, like a means of protection or something to even numb myself a little bit. And, you know, of course everyone has their method, whether it's, you know, nicotine or overeating or social media. But for me, it's like, wow, (laughs) I just do not stop. I just keep keep thinking. And it's, it is scary to, to cultivate that inner stillness because it's like taking away your pacifier a little bit. And then you're allowing things to pass through you. And what I, what I was thinking about, uh, as I said, when you were talking is how in order to let happiness in, we have to let everything in and, you know, you can't take in the trees and the flowers or, you know, the bees that are so beautiful that you're walking by. If, you're like, well, I can't feel this pain or this anxiety. Can, can you talk to us a little bit more about how, to, how we can open ourselves more to all of it and maybe why that's important?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, boy, that was really poignant, Sarah, and um, profound, everything you shared there. I would say that every case of unhappiness is a case of mistaken identity, right? And so we mistake who we are for... A body and for a mind, and we have a body, but we're not our body. We have a mind, but we're not our mind. We're something that's aware of the body and aware of the mind. And that awareness, like the sun itself, okay, um, illumines itself in the world just by being itself. Right? It's already just perfect light. And sometimes, if you're the sun, clouds pass through the sky, right? But at no point in time does the sun misidentify itself or mistake itself for the clouds it doesn't and it doesn't panic about it. it doesn't worry about them It doesn't let them bother it and at the same time it doesn't fight the clouds it doesn't try to get rid of the clouds the clouds do its thing and so part of the challenge and the opportunity if you care about happiness and peace and love is to simply be aware in a non-judgmental way of the thoughts and the feelings that you're having without identifying with those thoughts and feelings and that's really the challenge in order to do that you need a little space and sometimes that's why Having a great friend or colleague or a girlfriend like you is so incredibly helpful. Or going to a therapist is so incredibly helpful because what those people are doing is they're holding space and basically allowing for unconditional or non-judgmental regard. Mm-hmm. Right? That in of itself is healing. That is transformative. We know the most effective therapies in the world are effective not because of the therapy but because of the therapist and what the therapist does so well that's so healing and so transformative is they hold a space for unconditional regard where they're not triggered by every thought or thing you say right okay. so that's really the opportunity for all of us is to recognize that you can have thoughts or not have thoughts have feelings or not have feelings but you're none of those things you're something that is thoughtless and wordless and bodiless that mm-hmm. is infinitely and eternally unaffected mm-hmm. by anything that passes across the screen of your mind or body.
0: Yeah. And that awareness is so tucked away that it's, it is so hard. I was, um, as after I finished your book, I picked up, um, the untethered soul and I was really trying really, you know, I mean, so many books talk about, you know, just watching your thoughts and just letting them be, but wow, it was like the first day or two of trying to watch myself it was nearly impossible. I was like, every two seconds, I lose track of it. But um, but I loved what you said. It was so, so beautiful what you said about how the sun doesn't stop shining. It doesn't need to get rid of the clouds. It can just be what it is and trust that at the end of the day, it'll still be there. Whether or not there's a rainstorm, the, the sun's still there, it's not going anywhere. And likewise with, with our peace of mind. And you know, that's something that I am I've I've experienced to lesser degrees, you know, if I'm feeling say triggered or insulted by somebody trying to have awareness of what that feels like. And it's still painful. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy, but it's like, it's when I'm aware of how I'm feeling and when I'm aware of my thoughts, it's really similar to having a friend or having a therapist hold space. Cause I'm starting to hold space for myself a little more.
1: Right. And, and, and what ultimately is prayer or meditation than that? It's simply practicing the presence of God or source or spirit or peace or love or happiness. I think those are all synonyms. That's all it really ever is, right? It's communing with that or communing as that. And so you're right. It can feel really challenging in the beginning and very difficult in the beginning. But when you practice it, it makes everything else easy in the end, right? It makes everything else easy in the end, including all the stuff that we've worked so hard to try to achieve or accomplish or acquire with our hands and with our brains, right? And so... I love what you're saying and I totally sympathize with you. And I think also to your point, we can complicate these things. And if you're trying to find peace or love or happiness through the mind, the mind is very good at sending you down all these dark alleys and <laughs> teaching you that it's got to be much more difficult than it sounds. And it mm-hmm. tends to do that very well. And so, you know, sometimes I just simply remind myself that the awareness I'm seeking is not something that i had to go looking for it's actually from it's that place from where the seeking is even happening just being aware that you even exist that already is the awareness we're talking about in the beginning it feels like nothing it's like oh i'm aware that i am we're all aware that we are in order to be aware of anything else you have to be aware of that that ultimately is the peaceful aliveness and happiness and self-love or love that we're all looking for mm. but because we're so distracted by everything happening in our line of vision or sight, everything happening in our brain and our bodies. We don't put enough time and attention on that very awareness itself.
0: I love that because I think what is going on is we have so many, um, self-love is such a buzzword these days. And it's, everywhere all the time I'm and when I'm in a when I'm in a bad place or I'm not feeling super great, seeing self-love and I need to love myself more, it it's sort of misleading because I think it's difficult to understand self-love from a, a thinking mind because it's like, well, how can and that's wherein, seeking status and money or fame comes from. Cause it's like, well, the mind is something that's only going to look for things externally because it can't access that awareness. Your mind will never be able to do that because it's not that. So I love that you said that because self love really is awareness, but it's, it's uh, something that is kind of difficult to describe.
1: Yes, that's right. And, and and that's when you know you're close to it or that you are you really are it, right? Like, you know, um, there's a great book, I'm sure you've probably read it, Tao Te Ching, right? And Stephen mm-hmm. Mitchell's version of the Tao Te Ching is just powerful and profound. And, you know, essentially it says the Tao Te Ching, the Tao that can be told is not the real Tao or the, mm-hmm. the God that can be named is not the real God. That we have these concepts of things and, yeah. and the map of the territory. And, you know, mm-hmm. reading a menu is not the same as eating the food that is yeah. indicated. Pointed to in the menu, right? and yeah. So that's the challenge with all these things that, you know, increasingly it becomes very difficult to have conversations about it mm. because experience is the only explanation. Mm. You know, experience is the only explanation. You have to experience it for yourself to really know. But that being said, I would argue that we all experience love of the self, love for the self, all the time. It's the only love there really is that really exists. Mm. It's just that so many of us seek a deeper experience of that through paths and through means that aren't very effective. So it's like, you know, injecting the drugs into your vein, not very effective. Short-term, maybe. Long-term, not so much, right? And so we just, again, we try to route our peace, our love, our self-love through all these other things, people and places. But it's, again, a long, scenic, indirect, ineffective, you know, way of doing it.
0: Yeah. And it reminds me of how it's difficult to wrap your head around this, but when you feel, when you love someone or you feel love from that person, it's really something that was already inside of you that you're feeling. And that's really difficult to sort of accept because it's like, well, I don't feel that way when they're not around. So how can that be, how can that be so? Do you Sarah, have an answer for that?
1: Yeah. So um, so what happens is and this is my experience and I'm open to being, but my experience is that anytime I feel anything, what I'm feeling is ultimately coming through me. It's Mm -hmm. in my awareness. And so it's me essentially. And what happens is we, most, most of us, we project it on the first visible sign, you know, or first visible person or whatever we, you know, it's easy to describe that or attribute that feeling to something or somebody else. And so, but in order to experience what you're experiencing, it has to always come through you. It has to always come from you. You're the one feeling it. Nobody else is feeling it in the way that you are. And lots of people in your shoes wouldn't be feeling what you're feeling. Right. So and so,
0: yeah.
1: So there's a tendency because all of our five senses are really projected outwards and, you know, mm-hmm. there's a tendency and a temptation to attribute what we feel on the inside to something outside of us. And that's because we're so outward focused and outward directed. So that is part of the temptation. And that's part of also the reason why when we pray and when we meditate and when we kiss, we close our eyes, not always, but often. Part of it is to shut out the external world and to have a deep, visceral, guttural, internal experience mm. instead of attributing something outside of us, right? And you know, we're clear, it's you know great to have a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It's great to connect with things and people in the world. But ultimately, we want to remember that whatever it is we're feeling, we're feeling it coming from us.
0: Right. I think it's so for me I always forget that not everybody's like me. So when I get if I get you know offended by something or triggered by something, I assume or even when people don't act the way that I would act in a certain situation, I I remember like a few years ago being in some situations where people were not doing what I expected them to do and I was shocked. I was shocked. I was like whoa, I thought everybody thought like I did. And partially that's, you know, I can attribute that to, you know, my childhood, you know, being surrounded by people who instilled, you know, these values in me and my parents sought out friends who had those values. And so their kids did. And I was lucky enough to grow up in a community where that belief system was reinforced. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is how the world is. People act like this in these certain situations. And it was a big, big learning curve for me to go, oh, not everybody has these values or they just they just value different things. And that was a little earth shattering for me, but it was also really, really liberating. Like, oh, okay. Um, if that person doesn't see this as offense, like, I don't have to take things personally. That's another big thing that that I've been really learning the last couple of years.
1: Sarah, that's so good. Oh, just so delicious. Like <laughs> I mean, it really is, right? It's fire, you know. It's been, and and it's interesting because we all do that. We all assume that what we think and feel, everyone thinks and feels or should. Right. Think and feel, right. <laughs> and and that's, the, that's the psychology of separate realities. We each mm. live separate and different and distinct psychological reality. And we forget that fact over and over and over again. And that's why when you're ultimately truly wanting to keep commit or connect with someone, you have to go beyond the mind. If you just really only believe that love is agreeing with someone mm-hmm. or finding agreement mentally, you're going to have a very limited experience of love. You have to get to a place where it's really more about a heart connection, which is still in silence. You have to be able to connect despite Somebody not agreeing with you, not seeing things the way that you see them or feeling the way you feel about them. And not only be okay with that, but welcoming that and celebrating that. There's diversity of thought in that and perspective in that. And that can make life a lot more interesting and stimulating. But there's also a deeper level or experience of love that goes beyond Mm. thought and feeling.
0: Yeah. It's like um, the Rumi quote, out beyond... Ideas of right doing or wrong doing, there's a field, I'll meet you there. That I really believe that's what that is saying. And, you know, otherwise we're interacting from, I'm interacting from my ego, someone else is interacting from their ego. And then we're not actually having a true intimate connection, whether it's a partner or a parent or whoever, it's just our ideas about how things are interacting, you know? That's right.
1: I love that so much. You're absolutely right about that. And then there's not just two people in a relationship—you and the other person. There's your thought of who you are. There's Mm -hmm. your thoughts of who they are, and then there's the thoughts of what the relationship is. And the other person is doing the same exact thing, right? (laughs) So there's like six people. There's twelve people. Who knows how many people are in this relationship? But it's (laughs) all happening in our minds and Mm -hmm. not happening in "quote unquote" reality. And Mm -hmm. you know, I think it was Osho, you know, who once said that you know, really, all relationships just only happen in your mind. It re- you know, really, mm-hmm. that's the only place. And I've heard Eckhart say something very similar, which is like, really, there's no such thing as relationships. There's only really relating because there's only the present moment. And in the present moment, you're simply relating. But if you go even beyond that, there's not even relating. There's just oneness. But that's a whole, you know, another ball of wax.
0: <laughs> it is. And like, man, that is when, when I really start to, go that deep. It does scare me because you start to realize you can't hold on to anything. And that's of course where the freedom and the beauty and liberation lies, but it's scary to recognize like you only have this moment and relationships, as you were saying, in a sense, don't even exist if nothing is outside this moment exists. And it's like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> holding on for something, which is you know why we have an identity, why we have an idea of ourselves is to orient ourselves in this world.
1: It's, it's a very good point you make. and um, you know, one of the ways out of the concern and worry and fear about that is to remember, and then ultimately to, to experience the infinite internal nature that you, and, and mm. energy that you essentially are, right? So it's like the sky. Like, mm-hmm. is the sky afraid or feeling in some ways insecure or unstable because it has nothing to hold on to? No, that the sky includes, or call it space, it it includes, embodies, captures, encapsulates everything. There's nothing that isn't captured or embodied or by space. And space is infinite, right? There's no end to it. There's no borders and boundaries. And so there's no losing anything with respect Mm. to space and there's no gaining anything with respect to space because again it's infinite eternal and that same you know spacelessness and placelessness that that exists not only within us but is us and it's hard to put like words into it to it but the but the idea essentially is that if you perceive it it's in some ways already part of your experience Mm. right and ultimately that's not even you know putting it quite right but the idea is is that Yes, we all have this very human experience mm-hmm. of losing things and wanting to gain things. But again, that's part of the both trap and opportunity mm. to go beyond that and realize that ultimately, whatever it is that you're searching for, you are already, it's already included mm. in your very existence. It's yeah. not so abstract.
0: No, but it's not. I, I always have a hard time myself explaining these things how, because a lot of it gets into the realm of science that I'm like, huh, <laughs> did I remember that right? Like in a new earth, my boy Eckhart, I love him so much. He was the first um author that I read once I started meditating. And I was meditating because my my therapist had recommended I do it. And I didn't I spent like eight months to a year kind of like, eh, I don't want to, it sounds so boring. And I, I really didn't understand the point. And so once I started really sitting down to meditate. I was determined to do it. I got to a place where I was not happy. Um, reading his book showed me, Oh, I get it now. So it's a, and it's to also just quickly say what I loved so much about your book. And what I love so much about you is that you bring in, um, spiritual elements and components that are still digestible to say an American audience or a you know, Canadian, Western European, who people who are not used to that kind of vernacular that sounds a little bit more Eastern and it has some mysticism to it because ultimately life is mystical, but uh, us out here in the West are just not used to thinking in those terms. So to anyone else, you have to get Rob's book because it's for anybody.
1: I appreciate that so much. I'm going to Venmo you and Zell you and I'm going to (laughs) send you a check and a wire transfer, the whole nine, all the things like, and I appreciate you saying that so much because I mean, honestly, I didn't, you know, I didn't become a happiness coach. I didn't write a book for any other reason, except that I was deeply depressed, insanely suicidal for decades. I mean, really, I wanted nothing more than to kill myself. And I was authentically and genuinely trying just to be happy. And I started, you know, doing things like writing a book or sharing things that I was reading just because I wanted to be happy and I wanted other people to be happy too. That was it. And so I think sometimes when your heart is really pure about something, I think you have a tendency to make it digestible. And that can be a real challenge because again, we're trying to sometimes put words to something that's wordless, Mm -hmm. right? But that's also why I talk consistently about happiness at the end of the day and the ways in which happiness if you could prioritize happiness, the ways in which it kind of allows everything else to be added or how everything else follows when you prioritize happiness first and foremost.
0: Mm. Yeah, I really was, I I was, I was hoping that at some point we could, we could talk about your experiences because um, also I feel like, and I'm not sure if this is something you experienced, but I think I'm in my 20s and so many people I know in their 20s are experiencing this insane pressure to succeed. And you're somebody who has been so successful. And it sounds like not, of you know, based off of our whole conversation, but um, it, it didn't give you what you were looking for. And was that part of what um, made you more unhappy or did it compound that?
1: yes yes and sarah you are an old soul i mean my goodness you are in your 20s but it's like you've been around obviously for lifetimes and lifetimes like i would say that you know no question i mean i remember being unhappy and depressed from the age of four or five and i always thought i'd grow out of it that if i had enough friends if i eventually you know could buy all the toys i wanted whether they were you know kids toys or adult toys later if i could be successful on the athletic field. I wanted to be a professional basketball player. I always thought that those things would allow me to grow out of the unhappiness and the depression. But actually, as my life got better on the outside, I felt worse for it on the inside. And that shocked me, floored me. And I got to a point where I was so depressed that I began to experience suicidal ideation like hundreds, if not thousands of times a day. I thought about it almost, I felt like it was. I was thinking about it every moment. And so I got to a point where I decided I was gonna research how to kill myself and I decided I was gonna do it. And I went to the kitchen, I got a kitchen knife and I rammed it into my wrist. And probably can't really see on the camera there, but I had a really strange and unexpected and unpredictable experience when I did that. Mm-hmm. You know, I for no good reason, without anything on in the external or in the objective conditions and circumstances of my life changing. And remember, I had a pretty good life. You know, it wasn't like I was doing badly. I had friends, I had a girlfriend, I had money, I had a couple of nice German cars. Mm. But without any of those things changing, on the inside, I felt this inexplicable peace and joy just sort of rush or wash over me. And I remember being really strangely surprised by that. And I decided in that moment, I would postpone the suicide for like an hour and honestly, even the hour I wasn't committed to, it was probably like a couple minutes while I just did a little research. But that couple of minutes changed my whole life because I began to discover that I wasn't alone. There were lots of people feeling what I was feeling.
0: Wow. That is so powerful. Do you remember what age were you when that when that happened?
1: I was in my young twenties, early twenties. Yeah. So just a couple of years ago. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it looks in. When you told me you wrote this book in like 2006, 2007, I was like, looks like you wrote it yesterday. You look exactly <laughs> the same.
1: Boy. Um, you look great. Could...
0: Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, that I think that is a story that can bring so much hope to so many people. And what from, was it from that point on that you thought, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going like, you have, um, a degree in applied positive psychology from UPenn, which is such an amazing degree. Not very many people have it. Was that something where you thought, okay i'm I'm gonna go back to school to learn about whatever it is I just felt, how to have that more?
1: Great question. So so initially, I just went and accessed whatever books and videos and stuff I could find like online or whatever. That's where I started. And actually, Abraham Hicks was very influential in that mm-hmm. early part of my journey. Um, because I found a lot of peace in this idea that if I could find happiness, that things would improve in my life. And that I didn't need to you know, try so hard all the time. I just needed to reach for a thought or a feeling of relief. It was very helpful. So I did that. And then eventually, I was led to the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program mm-hmm. at Penn. But it was much later when I'd already really turned the corner yeah. on this unhappiness thing. Um, but it was a great program, very expensive, but it was a good program and, uh, and and very helpful. Um, but yeah, there's, there are enough resources available and online that you can turn practically anything in your life around if you just sort of look hard enough.
0: That's so, and that's something that I find to be so reassuring. And yet, you know, there are so many people who, um, have so much resistance to it? Or like there, I mean, obviously you're never supposed to, this is even in your book. You're not supposed to try and persuade people, you know, just be that example. And then it may shift other people, but at the same time, there's that curiosity. Is it just that people need to get to their personal rock bottom to say, okay, I have to try something new. Why is it that there's so much resistance to becoming happier?
1: Yeah, it's uh, well. You know, on one hand, there aren't a whole lot of individuals or organizations that plant the seeds, mm. yeah. of where and what leads to true happiness, right? I mean, and and there's and 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 there's lots of reasons for that. Part of it is that you know, how many people do you know are genuinely, truly, deeply happy, happy in the way that you and I are talking about it? The other part of it is that there's not always a whole lot of money in teaching people that they don't need to buy something new, you know, <laughs> in order to, in order to be happy. That not you know, it's not necessarily, um, you know, always great for business in that, in, in that respect. So yeah. that's the other piece of it, you know? Um, so I'd say that, yeah, it's um, a lot of programming, a lot of conditioning and we don't get a lot of encouragement to seek happiness directly from the source. Mm. And that can be a very challenging and frustrating thing. But at the same time, my level of gratitude and appreciation for it now, particularly because I went through a period when I was so unhappy, my appreciation and gratitude for happiness is so much higher than it could have possibly ever been had I not gone through a period of suicidal ideation and depression. So, yeah. also, my commitment to happiness, mm-hmm. you know, it's amazing what you can accomplish when it's life or death for you. You know, at some point it was like, I'm either going to live blissfully happy and alive or I'm not going to be alive. And that kind of laser focus often is very helpful in becoming quote unquote, good at something pretty quickly, you know, and that, that pretty quickly still took me years.
0: Wow. That's so interesting. I love what you said about focus because focus is such a, such an important part of being happy in that first of all, focusing your attention, you know, and Al Pacino, I think said, uh, there's no such thing as happiness, only uh, only focus or only attention, something like that. And I think that's so true. And then I love the quotes you put in your book by Charles Kingsley. We act as though comfort and luxury were the chief requirements of life when all that we need to make us really happy is something to be enthusiastic about. And when you're enthusiastic, when you have focus, there's there's meaning. There's there's a goal. It, it drives you forward, and I. But at the same time, it's okay. I think not to have that pull or that direction, because that means that you're in acceptance of the present moment. So it's kind of having both of these things be true.
1: You, you nailed it. I mean, so and first of all, I I, I got to call this out you have got to be one of the few people I know who can quote like Tara Brock, Eckhart Tolle and Al Pacino in the same breath. It's amazing and pretty incredible. Love thank that. You, you. Yeah, real good. Um, so yeah, you know, it's um, interesting. I think the challenge that I had early on was that I wanted to still achieve and accomplish and acquire things. And I thought, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with having a lovely, comfortable, abundant life on the outside. But I also wanted that, you know, comfortable abundant and prosperous life on the inside too. Mm -hmm. And so you can get a little stuck. Like is the point to accept and just be okay with what I have or should I strive for more? And I would argue that, you know, it's both, right? Mm -hmm. That you can deeply, truly love where you are and also be really eagerly excited or anticipating what's coming next. Right. And you can do it in a way that isn't stressful and anxiety ridden, but if Mm -hmm. you have to choose, you want to double down, and enjoying the present moment as much as humanly possible, because I promise if you take care of the present moment, the future will take care of itself.
0: <sighs> that is really the crux of what I've been trying to work through is it's like, okay, also, if I, if I have everything, I need to be happy right now, it were all of my goals and all of the things I was striving for. Was that coming from a place of trying to be happy? Or was it because it makes me happy. And I think, I think there's a little bit of both, but for, look, (laughs) this is gonna sound, this is, you know, maybe TMI, but like um, a few weeks ago in therapy, I was really discussing how restless I felt and um, just life felt very dull. And, you know, she had me tune into my body, do some deep breathing and, and feel into where I felt this sort of frustration and I isolated it in my chest and got, you know, more and more um, sort of in touch with with this feeling. And I was like, it feels like this black hole. And uh, the thought that I had as soon as I, again, was in touch with it was I'm afraid that life is meaningless, which, and I started crying and I have never thought that life was meaningless. I always thought life was so beautiful, but lately as I've been working through these two different ideas of, of being happy where I am. And yet, where do I go? If I am meant to accept this, it, it's been hard.
1: Sarah, boy, just, you definitely need to applauded and commended for your confident vulnerability. I mean, that is a
0: oh, superpower
1: well, that, that it is, it, that transparency is a superpower and it makes it so easy for, I know me personally and the rest of us to relate to you. So thank you thank for you. that. Yeah. Um, And I would say that I've had that thought and I've been on both sides of the fence where it's like, life is meaningless. But also, life is meaningless, right? (laughs) Like, You know, so it's like, you know, and and I would say that the way I say it sometimes is that life is actually without meaning, uh, which doesn't mean that it's meaningless. doesn't mean it's meaningful. Without meaning. Meaning that if you look into nature, you know, all of nature exists perfectly, in a perfectly blissful way, despite experiencing the same traumas and loss and adversity and illness and death and accidents that we do as human beings. Only people make a problem of their own existence, right? And they don't seek and search out meaning to make their lives worthwhile, right? Mm -hmm. Now, another way of saying it, maybe a clear way of saying that is that meaning and purpose is not found in and wrapped up in the future, meaning and purpose is wrapped up in the present. You know, it's a gift. It's in the present moment. And so if you're seeking and searching for meaning and purpose in the future, the tendency is to always project that meaning and future into some future moment that never arrives. So you Mm -hmm. think that you'll take this future-oriented mindset with you into the future and you'll be different then. I'll have a present present moment-minded attitude then. But generally, you don't do that. You generally take this future-moment-minded attitude With you into the future, so you're always projecting the meaning and purpose into something out of, ahead of you, outside of you, and that's deeply and truly problematic. So, meaning and purpose for me is found not in the future. And yes, of course, you can find meaningful and purposeful things to do and think about in the future, but it's not even found in this moment in my mind as much. Although I find moments that are meaningful, and I can connect the dots here and there. But for me, the meaning and purpose is found in the deepest. Most lasting and abiding way when I'm not lost in my mind and I'm not lost in these stories that I make up about how the moment could be better or different.
0: Wow, that's so beautiful. Thank you, thank you for saying that. It's so hard not to think about. It's so hard not to think about the future when, especially, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, as an actress too, and it's like. You think about the uncertainties of, of this career and then throw into that the uncertainties of life, whether it be, you know, job loss, loss of life, loss of, you know, in some ways, loss for many people of their homes in California. I mean, with homelessness, I mean, everything's uncertain. That's obvious. And it's it's so hard not to seek out that certainty in the future. But That's going, the only thing certain about doing that is that you'll make yourself unhappy.
1: Ah, so there's a beautiful Meister Meister Eckhart quote, which is something like, and I won't get it perfectly right, but it's like the eye that looks for God is God, right? Mm -hmm. The idea essentially is that the uncertainty that you seek is actually the certainty that you are coming from. So the only way you can be aware of what's uncertain is that you're coming from a place of perfect certainty. If you were also moving as everything outside of you was also was moving, you wouldn't be able to notice or recognize it as uncertainty. It would the only way for you to really notice what's changing is to be coming from a perspective. that's changeless. That's unchanging. Wow, yeah. That's
0: incredible. I've never heard that.
1: Yeah. That, that I, I feel so such deep resonance around that. Cause that's, yeah. always been my experience too you know it seems seemingly my experience which was like I want security and I need stability and I want you know just to feel like safe but there is no safety and security to be found outside of you in the world the safety and security you seek is the safety and security that you are and you can know that simply by observing the insecurity and instability and lack of safety that you perceive in the world otherwise you couldn't perceive it
0: I am so glad I talked to you today. You are you articulate really complex ideas in a way that is so clear. And well, thank you for that. <laughs> You're just a great filter to take all of these really abstract concepts and just go, oh, "Okay, here we go." Something that's really approachable.
1: Well, don't ask me to tie my shoes or cook <laughs> or I can't do anything else like this is the one thing that I've ever only really felt a ton of passion around. And it's mm. absolutely mind-blowing to me that I would ever get an opportunity to connect with you in this way because it's the one thing I've always wanted my entire life. I was to be able to have these kind of conversations with yeah. someone who truly got it, could reflect back to me, could share other ways, alternative ways, deeper, more profound ways of seeing things and understanding things. And so I just want you to know how much I appreciate you for that, Sarah. Like and I mean me that.
0: Too. Thank you so much. I, and you know, that's a great, I would, I would love your advice on this too. I, cause I feel so, again, I feel so passionate about this also. And it feels like I can, you know, when other people have that passion, it feels like I can, can truly connect to you and then also to myself and, and what I love. And it's not always, you know, it's not always very easy to find that many other people who have that priority or or that desire and how how do you recommend finding people in your life that really resonate with you finding community
1: yeah so i'm going to give this answer in two ways i'll give you the answer that probably most of us are wanting and then i'll give you the answer that i truly feel at a deeper level okay. so i you know i'd say that um you know see, there are so there are so many communities of people that are up to this work and that are all about this work and they're enjoying it and they're everywhere. And so I would say if there's one tiny little thread or theme in your life, so maybe it's an author you love, maybe it's a video you love, yeah. maybe it's an audio book that you found, just pull on that one thread hmm. and if you keep tugging on that one thread. You'll be led to more and more people and resources that continue to fill your life up with, you know, incredible wisdom. And that's been the key the case with me. I mean, I can literally go to a bookstore and I'm like, oh, that title is interesting, and maybe I don't end up going home with that book. But then I browse the book, and then there's another author in there. And the next thing you know, right, it's right, nine books, right. So yes. that's probably the best way is, you know, look into your life now and notice the one little thread. Maybe it's a video you, maybe it's this podcast, right? So you could reach out to me, you could reach out to Sarah, and then you could find that you know the things that we're up to and the people that we're connected to, and you might find an entire community of people there. So that's one way. Yeah, me, you know, the other thing is, you know, and I joke about this a lot is my best friends are often dead authors, right? And so, you know, find the living masters or Mm -hmm. find the people that exist in a physical body in the world today. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I would argue that you'll probably find even more unconditional love and understanding from folks that aren't really embodied in a physical way on the planet anymore. That was the case with me. I just read a ton of books and I listened to books and I feel like I actually know Joel Goldsmith and I know, you know, Ramana Maharshi and I know Jesus and Buddha. Like, it feels like, you know, that's how yeah. Intimate yeah. the, the yeah. relationship feels um, to me. Um, but t- that's the second thing. And then third thing, I, I would say that, you know, if you find that you're loving this work and you're loving this material, you know, I would question whether or not, certainly reach out to people, but whether or not, if you can't find anyone to connect with, if that's not really a golden opportunity to connect more deeply with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So those are, I guess, the three responses is that, you know, the top level, pull on the one thread. Also, there are professionals that do this for a living. You know, beyond that, I would say, stick to the resources that you love. And if you can't find people that are alive today, stick to the ones that have made their transition. Um, And then finally, remember ultimately that, the connection you're most desiring is the one with yourself.
0: Mm. Thank you. That is so true. Uh, Yeah. I, I remember I, uh, I went through a period of time in college for um, my junior and senior year where I really, this is when I really started getting into meditation and really started reading and reading and reading all these authors. And I, withdrew really from having any sort of social life. Cause I didn't really like who I was when I was with other people. I felt sort of insecure, unsure of myself. So I was like, okay, well, it's at least a little easier to be alone. So I'll start from there. And what I found was the more deeply I connected to myself, the loneliness or anxiety, the insecurity all went away. And then when I did find it was like, people came into my life. It wasn't even that I sought them out. Um, I will say though it is a little challenging in in pandemic times and you know outside of college not being around like a massive community of of people my age and things like that but you know um I'm really excited to get more involved with different you know communities or whether they're meditation centers or community service places and so yeah I I appreciate that and I think you're absolutely right that the way to really more deeply connect with others is to first make sure you're absolutely fostering your relationship to self.
1: Sarah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, and you said it just so eloquently, that is the master key. That is the cheat code, you know, stay lit up, just do whatever it is that makes you stay lit up. If you Mm -hmm. can stay lit up, I promise everybody else will make their way to you by the light, right. That you're sharing and shedding on the world. So Mm -hmm. it's all about staying lit up. And I think often, you know, we get into a space where we want to curse the darkness instead of just simply being light, you know, don't curse the darkness, just be the light. You asked to be a light. And the only way to really truly know that you're the light is to occasionally, or more than occasionally, maybe consistently experience and notice the darkness, Mm. right? That's why you're here in this world is that you are a light, you are the light. And so if you can just do what you can to keep that dimmer switch, turned up as high as possible, you'll find that you'll have the opposite problem very soon, which is you'll, you know, try to find out how you can get some time away from people that are like-minded or whatever. You just want some alone time. Um, Anyway, that's, I think that's your, your experience and my experience there, which is like, if you stay lit up, it's amazing who and what you attract.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that is such a great place to, you know, come to our conclusion. If there's anything else that would, do you have a message that you would like to send to people who are doing the work, who are on this path to happiness, any sort of words that you would give of encouragement?
1: Yeah. I would say that, you know, if you're really struggling with like obsessive compulsive, incessant, negative, needy, desperate, thinking and thoughts, which is ultimately what most of us are pretty aware of, is that if we can't get it outside of our head. I found that really drowning yourself in other people's thoughts, whether or their words, whether it's books or videos or audio, it's extraordinarily helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, and I used to do that all the time. I would just turn on my Abraham Hicks or my Eckhart mm-hmm. Tolle or my Rupert Spira or whoever. And I would, even if I didn't want to, especially if I didn't want to, and just let it play in the background, just let it play. And mm-hmm. you'd be surprised that The seeds get planted and planted and planted and they eventually take root, grow and come alive inside of you. And so I would say if you're really struggling, just keep it moving Mm -hmm. by consuming as much positive, uplifting, inspiring content as you can, even when you don't want to, and those seeds will take root and you'll be surprised at the fruit that your life will begin to bear.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Rob. It's so amazing talking to you. My heart is warm. Um... I am so blessed to have met you and to be a part of your profound wisdom that you're sharing with the world. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And of course, for coming on my podcast. Thank you. You
1: have no idea. You are so welcome. And I fully receive that. And please know, I want to perfectly reflect that back, Sarah, you are such a special and rare gem and I mean that in every way, you're multi-talented and multifaceted. And for you to have this deep wisdom that you're sharing, to be sharing it in the authentic and confidently vulnerable way you are is fresh air. I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the freshest air. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for having me. And please know, I want to continue the conversation forever.
0: <laughs> I know, me too. I, know, I don't want to keep them. Um, thank you so much, Rob. Thank you.